0: What's up, podcast fam? Happy Monday. Hope you all had an amazing weekend, as always. Today, my guest is a new friend, Flora the Explorer. For those of you that love travel, this episode is for you. If you are currently grieving, going through the process, or just curious around grief, mental health, etc., this is also an awesome episode that I highly recommend. Flora's got an amazing story. She lost both her parents young, wanted to travel the world, and built a lifestyle that enabled her to do just that. She now has her website, FloraTheExplorer.com, where she talks about travel, grief, mental health, volunteering, and travel. Flora's travel list, where she's been, is amazing. I mean, she has traveled to so many places, lived there, experienced the cultures, and really just has such an interesting story as it relates to travel. Before we jump into this one, please take a moment and share this episode with a friend. Subscribe to Bits of Gold and tag us on your Instagram story if you find this episode valuable. You can tag us at Gold underscore podcast. With that being said, enjoy this episode with the one and only Flora the Explorer. Flora the Explorer, thanks so much for coming on the Bits of Gold podcast. I'm so excited to have you on, on the show today.
1: Thank you. I'm very excited to be here.
0: I recently came across your profile, your website, just was browsing one day on Instagram and was really taken back by your story, the journey you've been on. As someone who loves traveling, I was just like, wow, this is a cool life. Very different from a lot of people who I know here in the States, just in terms of like their natural life progression. Many people don't choose to start to travel the world and you have your own name Flora the explorer so to kick off the show would love for you to jump in to share a little bit about your story and just you know we'll take it from there and see see where it leads
1: cool yeah so my alter ego i guess is flora the explorer which is a it's a great alter ego because clearly a lot of americans have an affiliation to dora so it's a very memorable name <laughs> it's always been helpful for me but yeah i i started traveling independently just out of uni I had a year abroad in the States in San Francisco and we'll get into this stuff but um, my mom had passed away just before I went to America and San Francisco was like the best place for me to be because it was just so different to being in London and I loved it absolutely loved my year there so when I graduated I started traveling I went to India for 6 months and did a lot of kind of odd little volunteering projects out there and when I came back to London after about 6 months um very quickly. I was like, I don't want to be here. I want to go again. Uh, So I bought a ticket to Ecuador and then was in South America for about a year and a half. I tend to challenge myself quite often. So I kind of set challenges. And my challenge in South America pretty much was to try and become fluent in Spanish before I left. Like before I was allowed to leave, I had to learn Spanish. I'm still not fluent, but I was pretty, I was pretty damn good. (laughs) It was interesting because I was traveling long term for such a long time that It became a very solid part of my identity and I've always been a writer so writing started to vie in importance with with travel and eventually I moved back to London in 2014 to focus more on writing than travel and then I had to kind of change how I identified a bit because suddenly not being a traveller was a very strange feeling and I had to kind of readjust but but yeah travel has been a massive part of the last decade of my life, yeah
0: amazing just taking it a step back so i want to talk a little bit about i guess your mom's death so she passed when you were in uni
1: yeah i was in my second year of uni so it was january 2009 i forget you can't say 29 anymore <laughs> um in january 2009 so i was just shy of 21
0: and i'm just curious was that like the spark that made you want to get out of your hometown was that the spark that made you want to go and travel and get out or what was like what was the experience like
1: Well, to be honest, okay, so my family, I'm an only child. My parents had me when they were somewhat older and my mum was a theatre actress and my dad was a theatre director. So both of them had been freelance their whole lives and both of them had travelled a lot with their jobs, um, be it in just the UK doing different theatre productions or internationally on tours and stuff. And we did quite a lot of travelling when I was a kid. Uh, My dad directed a few plays in Greece and in Japan. So I was in Japan for a month aged eight, which was surreal. And my parents always kind of instilled a love of travel and not even a love of travel, more like a complete disregard for the idea of travel being scary or being impossible. It was always something I knew I could do and I was allowed to do and I was able to do. So when I started university, I knew I had a third year abroad and I knew that America was obviously part of it. I was studying American literature, so it made sense to go to yeah. America. And my mum luckily or well yeah I was lucky she she knew that I was going to San Francisco because I got given the spot just before she died and in like in the last few weeks of her of her life she was still saying you know please don't let this stop you from going to America like you're going to have such an amazing time and I've loved America and I want to I want you to go so I felt like I had the support from her to go and I think yeah just I think I would have traveled regardless of my mum dying but it was it was precipitated from it because I felt a massive difference in myself when I was in a different country.
0: Mm. Was that your first time coming to the US or no?
1: Okay, it's very strange. I had always wanted to go to the States. And I went there for the first time in that year abroad, lived there for a year, haven't been back. I don't know why. <laughs> <I guess laughs> I'd you... love to go back. but Did you like it? I adored it. But again, I was living in San Francisco. So this like, I mean, California is probably the most like England it feels the most like places I've been to before California in general. And then San Francisco on top of it. Like it's the most cosmopolitan, the most hippie, the most, you know, all the stuff that I love. And I think I would love to spend more time in other States as well, but yeah, I haven't had a chance to go back. Currently my politics don't align with going to.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel, (laughs) I feel like now just in general, the U S is not, I don't think anyone's really, it's funny. I think I mentioned this to you on the call when we spoke the other day, but. Like I, myself, I know many other people have been looking at traveling during this time, like just within the States, even locally. But I thought I was going to go to like a few different States over the next six months. And does not like right now, I think the best place to be is home.
1: <laughs> kind of.
0: Yeah. So what was it like? I know you just mentioned you were in Japan when you were eight. What was that like?
1: Oh, it was amazing. It was so fun. And I, I mean, I was very, I was quite a precocious child. I mean, I was the only child of a theatre actress, so you can kind of imagine the dramatics that I got up to just to kind of prove myself as like a theatrical kid. <laughs> um, my parents were very happy that I didn't want to be an actor because I did want to for a long time. And My mum was terrified about the idea of me trying to act. But yeah, when, when we went to Japan, I was eight, and we went for at least a month, I think, because my dad, he'd started directing earlier in the year and he was out there for a while, but we went over when it was my school holidays. Um, and yeah, it was just, for an eight-year-old, a month was a very long time. And it felt like a very long time. And I couldn't get over how different everything was. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And trying all this crazy food, like, I was too young to realize that sushi might be kind of strange. I just thought it was really cool. <laughs> and I just I have very vivid memories of Disneyland. And Peter Pan and Wendy were British the, actress, the, like, the actors playing Peter Pan and Wendy, and they ran over to us. They were like, we haven't spoken English to anyone in so long. Can we have a conversation with you? It was so sweet. But also, I mean, particularly then, I was a little Western kid and spending time with my dad's professional community, all of whom were Japanese. So all of whom were incredibly interested in the fact that this little Western kid was coming to visit them. So I got given tons of presents, which I also loved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was amazing. I loved it.
0: And I guess I'm also curious, do a lot of people in the UK, is the mindset, generally speaking, like after university, do a lot of people travel or do a lot of people jump right into work? I'm curious if there's a difference between the the mentality between like a lot of people here in the States after school, they're like so fast, they run to get a job and they think like, okay, now I need to go into that. And I feel I have a few friends that live in the UK and they are so much more open to traveling seeing the world and a lot of people here i'm curious what your experience has been with that
1: i think it can depend a on your family and b on where you live because i lived in london my whole life so it made sense that i'd want to travel because it's a very cosmopolitan city and you're always around people from different countries and there's just an influence of wanting to see other places and i mean my family weren't wealthy at all but i went to quite a good school Um, because I got a scholarship so I had various friends at secondary school who you know they traveled a lot like their families took them to places you get the Eurostar to France no problem you go on a holiday on skiing holidays every year you'd always go on a summer holiday to like a Greek island or the coast of Spain or something and as soon as you finish school you want to do that too so I think the day after we graduated secondary school high school for you guys me and my two best friends did the interrailing thing. So we got one of those train tickets that you can just get on every train and every like cheap train you can mm. and interrailed for like a month. But again, like that's not, I wouldn't say it's uncommon at all. Like it's definitely in my set of people, that's, that's what everybody wanted to do, but it's not like everyone in the UK wants to do that. But I think cause we've got such a close proximity to Europe that it's very common to be interested in going to, in going to Europe at least. Whereas when I lived in the States for that year, over the Christmas break, I wasn't going back to the UK because it was the first year after my mum had died and both me and my dad had said, let's just pretend Christmas hasn't happened this year. Like he'd stay in the UK, I'd be in America. It'd be fine. We just ignore it. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't work annoyingly. But as a result, it gave me like a, a, I think about a month to just do other stuff. And I thought, oh, I'll go over to the other coast and I'll go to New York and, and to Philly and do a bit of exploring. And I asked some friends, In my Spanish 101 class, if anybody wanted to come with me, if anyone wanted to, you know, go to New York for a week or something, every single one of my friends, my American friends were like, oh, no, no, it's fine. (laughs) I was like, have you ever been before? They're like, no, no. I was like, what? Why don't you want to go? Like, particularly going with an English person who would be like insanely excited about everything you find really normal. Like, I get very excited about um what's it, Dunkin' Donuts and stuff, <laughs> you know? Like it's really fun yeah. to hang out with a Brit. Yeah, it really surprised me actually, because I kind of I don't know, like everybody I've been around most of my life has had a desire to travel a bit and then some people that I met in California really didn't and yeah. Strange.
0: Yeah, it's definitely strange. I have family in Israel and uh, my cousins there are like one of my cousins has traveled to India, Australia. After when he was done with the army, and I guess before he would w- went back into school, he went to Australia, got a job like working on a farm, made enough money to continue to travel and sort of continue that cycle. Then went to India, did the same thing. And I always really admire that about him. And I guess I admire that about just people, generally speaking, like yourself, who Um, Like, it's definitely not the mentality, I'd say, for a lot of people here. Like, if you finish college here and you're like, oh, I'm going to go to Europe to travel, people would look at you like you're crazy. And I don't get it. It wasn't the path I took, but it's a path that I really admire.
1: Then again, most of the places I've been in all the hostels, there's always an American. Always. Yeah. So there's always Americans traveling. I think it's just that I wonder about the age time, like the timing in, in your life. Like There's definitely people I'd met who were maybe older again different countries there are different demographics like there's usually much younger backpackers in europe american backpackers but then in places like south america they're always a bit older maybe the language thing i'm not sure but i remember hanging out with a guy who was from i think new york but he was a like an a and e doctor or something which just by dint of the job like he'd clearly been working for a long time to get to that level anyway so yeah i don't know
0: yeah I understand what you're saying. There's probably always, and I don't mean to bucket all the US obviously, right. <laughs> but I don't think I could think of like anyone in my immediate network who like after college are like, peace, I'm going overseas and I'm going to travel for like six months. But I think of like my cousins in Israel or a lot of my friends who um, like grew up in the UK, Australia, and it's like, they've traveled, they've seen the world and then they worry about life after. It's, mm-hmm. I guess it's just like a funny thing as, you know, I think that's one of the things that really, drew me to like your story etc you know the the little traveler inside of me is like oh what a cool life so (laughs) going back to that so you spent six months your first long-term backpacking experience you spent six months exploring nepal india thailand is that right Mm -hmm. yeah pretty much you were there for six months and you covered those different places
1: yeah i was in nepal for a month and then india for about five and then thailand for just under a month i think
0: and did you have a plan or like what was, No. that? was your first real backpacking experience, right?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I did take a gap year as well before uni, but that was quite structured because I lived in Florence for a couple of months studying Italian and then lived in, where else did I go? Oh, I did a bit of backpacking then as well, but that was with friends. I think India was the first place I went that was kind of just me, but I did start in India with a company because I was terrified about solo travel as a girl. In India because you hear a hell of a lot of stories so I figured to get my feet sorted I'd join a trip first and then when the trip ended I'd start traveling properly which is what I ended up doing
0: did you have a plan though like generally speaking like what were you thinking before you had planned I guess that that trip
1: yeah I mean so if anybody read my site now it wouldn't maybe be as apparent but for those the five or so years where I was traveling pretty constantly I did a lot of volunteering, mainly because although it doesn't necessarily come across, I'm pretty self-deprecating and self-conscious. And I got quite worried about being able to kind of keep constantly traveling with with no real point to it. And I was also quite worried about like not necessarily having the social side of it. And particularly because now that I've kind of gone through a lot more of my grief journey, I've realized that it was a lot of trying to process the grief stuff and I was trying to avoid it. And I didn't really want to, I don't know, I I needed to have kind of an incentive to be somewhere rather than just traveling for the hell of it. So I did a lot of volunteering. So in in Nepal, I was volunteering at a, um, now I wouldn't do it, but at an orphanage. And then in South America, lots of places I was, I cherry picked different volunteering projects and kind of took my route that way. But a lot of the time I hadn't decided what I was going to do until I was in the place before. So it, it wasn't like I had a set plan. I just knew that I'd go and kind of, find things on the ground, as it were, and then work out what to do when I got there. That happened in, in India as well, I think. After the month in Nepal, I did a trip with a company called Intrepid in India and then started to just work out what I wanted to do. <laughs> so it wasn't very planned.
0: Got it. So you yeah. were just sort of, you went there and you were going to see sort of where life took you. Yeah, pretty much. In terms of the your website, of the Explorer, Like, when does that come into play?
1: Uh, I started... I think the first article I put up there was when I was in Nepal. I had been a big fan of things like Tumblr and LiveJournal back in the day, but they were very impersonal. Like you didn't really have a platform. Um, And I was pretty aware when I went to Nepal that I was at least at that time imagining I'd be traveling for a long time. And it was easier than, than writing emails to friends. It was a lot easier to just like write articles and I'd always thought about travel writing and and thought it might be a fun thing for me to do. But I hadn't kind of realized that quite quickly I'd have comments from people who I actually had never met who had just found my article somehow on the crazy world that is the internet. And as soon as I realized that was possible, it got a lot more fun. And suddenly I got quite obsessed with with blogging, as it were. And I started doing it before it was huge. So I kind of had the chance to get in there, which was really nice.
0: What was it like when when people first started like First person, first few people who you had no idea who they were.
1: I was very confused. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> How have you found this? I don't understand. It took me a really long time to understand like the nuances of, of how blogging works. Like I was traveling for a long time and had no idea about the community behind it and stuff. And I think after that first six months in Asia, I came back to the came back to the UK and had discovered that there were like blogging conferences you could go to, which was a surprise. And I booked a ticket to one because I was still desperate to keep traveling and it was in Spain and I met a ton of travel bloggers and was just I was amazed that this existed and I think I had another I had another blog name at the time and I hung out with a lot of kind of big name bloggers who were like you need to change your blog name Florida Explorer would be good it's funny (laughs) and memorable and I was like is it would it be good and then I changed (laughs) it and then immediately people were like this is such a good name so yeah I stuck with it. But yeah, I think knowing there was a community behind it made it so much more inviting. Because then when I went to South America, I had a ton of friends in the community. And and on social media, like people were actually interested because they also had travel blogs, and they also had the same ethos. And they also felt the same way about about exploring. And yeah, now I have a huge, huge network, like hundreds and hundreds of people who all do the same kind of stuff as I do, and are all interested in documenting traveling through words and through images and through social channels and stuff. And it's, yeah, it's. I don't think I would have done it as long if I hadn't found that group of people, to be honest.
0: Got it. Like, how deep did you dive into on the blogging side in terms of getting educated and teaching yourself? Like, was that something you started spending a lot of time, like figuring out how to optimize your blog for getting people to view it? Or were you just like, I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing and write about my travels?
1: I'm probably an anomaly of sorts in that I really, really never cared. <laughs> But that's because, without trying to sound really, for lack of a better word, up myself, I always cared about writing rather than anything else, which I kind of hope comes across. Like I've always just been more concerned about the storytelling and and the language I use and the structures of the pieces I write and stuff, which is now not a great thing because just in terms of blogging, because blogging is now so so focused on SEO and and traffic and all this stuff, and I I don't care. Like I really don't care about it. It's it's something that isn't in my wheelhouse at all. I've done a lot of research and I just ugh, I don't want to keep doing it but again you know the internet changes so drastically over the last has changed drastically over the last seven eight years it used to just be it's also why I'm so confused that people found my site in the first place I don't really know where they were looking <laughs> to find it because now like I can google for those articles that I wrote at the very beginning of blogging but they don't rank anywhere on google because they're so not optimized for the internet so I don't know how people found them but I've mean, now forgotten what you asked me. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> No, just just in general, I mean it sounds like basically you focused on what you love and you know where you excel which is the writing and yeah. you weren't really worried so much about, you know, I guess SEO and things of that nature. You were just going to continue to dive deep into the writing.
1: Exactly that. That was my focus.
0: So like, you know, I spent some time on on your website and I know our listeners are going to ask, okay, so you're a travel blogger, you travel the world. Is this what you do full-time? Your blog
1: I mean that's a very difficult question (laughs) no I mean it's not difficult at all no (laughs) I it's just that I think people really expect there to be a very simple answer to that and I don't think it ever could be simple I mean it can be you can drill into it in so many different ways like no it can't be the only way I it can't be full-time because the reason that I can do it is because I was privileged enough to have an upbringing that gave me the incentive to travel. And then also the fact that I already had enough funds when I first started to travel that I could build off that rather than having to start from scratch. And ultimately, yeah, like as I said about SEO and traffic and stuff, like my, my site itself doesn't make me any money because I don't have advertising on there and it's not, it doesn't rank high enough to get advertising, but I work with a lot of tourist boards or I have done. Um, tourist boards and dmos and destinations and i go on projects with them they pay me for the writing that i do but it doesn't come from the site directly it's not like it's a passive thing it's not like i have adverts that people click through and i get money yeah which is how a lot of bloggers do do it as well as many other things but yeah i mean i do copywriting and and i have worked many odd jobs when i'm back in the uk annoyingly it's not like a start travel blogging and you will have a full-time income straight away like it doesn't work like that at all
0: yeah well the reason I ask is because I'm sure a lot of people are going to listen to this and they're going to say so how does like I want to travel the world too and make money yeah exactly (laughs) so I want to go back into I want to talk a little bit about the traveling itself and just before I even do that I guess like it's very interesting just to hear you say that because it sounds like really what your, your passion is and you can correct me if I'm wrong is really traveling and writing. And it sounds like you've figured out a way to blend those two together while traveling the world, seeing so many things. And I think that's really, you know, like I applaud you. That's really awesome, obviously, that you've figured out a way to find both what you love and what you're good at and, and merge them into a way to build a life you love.
1: Yeah, thanks.
0: So I want to highlight a few of like, and I know there's a lot on your site, but I want to highlight a few of like your coolest travel stories. And I know that's obviously it's, it's a little bit hard to, I'm sure like, you know, I, I spent some time on your site. It's probably hard to pick a few that like really pop out to you, but wanted to talk a little bit about some of the highlights, some of the things that stuck out to me. So you cut all your hair in an Indian hostel bathroom.
1: <laughs> Let's like, talk about that. <laughs> oh, that was a difficult decision. When I left, the UK to go to Asia I for some reason didn't really think it was necessary to discover the temperatures of the countries I was about to go to I had just decided that the clothes I was packing would be sufficient I went to Nepal for a month Nepal in February is freezing like in the daytime it's warm because the sun's out but the buildings don't have heating and Nepal well Kathmandu has uh, rolling blackouts so they don't have power so there's no heat even if that you can put fan heaters on like they don't you don't get enough heat So I was freezing in Nepal, like so cold. And I was wearing all my clothes every single day um, to go to sleep and doing jumping jacks in my sleeping bag to try and get myself warm enough to fall asleep. It was not a good time. (laughs) And then I went to India. And there's a temperature difference anyway between those two countries. And also it was a month later and India was suddenly boiling. And so I had this horrible kind of jarring realization that A, I'm not very good at acclimatizing very quickly. (laughs) I mean, I did have clothes for summertime weather but in india you get stared at a lot as a woman and you kind of do have to cover up a bit if you don't want to be like stared at loads and i also had really long hair and i initially was just wearing it up in a ponytail and was like okay this will be fine but it just kept getting really hot like i have really dark hair and actually felt the difference of like my the top of my head would be burning hot and the group of people i was traveling with all women pretty much all women and two of them well one of them, who is now a dear friend of mine still, she had really short hair. And we were talking about how clearly how much cooler her head was than my head. And we all got drunk. <laughs> and uh suddenly Emmy challenged a few of us to be like, Well, why didn't you cut your hair off then? Like, be fine. It'd be it'd be much cooler. I've never had short hair and we were staying in a essentially a guest house in somewhere in Rajasthan. I think we were in Jaisalmer and it was yeah, like a guest house rather than a hostel. So we went down to the kitchen and asked the kitchen if we could borrow some scissors
0: <laughs>
1: and just stood in the bathroom and just like all cut our hair off.
0: Oh my God. And to
1: start with, it looked okay. And then as soon as my hair dried, I have very kind of wavy hair. So as soon, I mean, any women who are listening will understand like the hell of this, that when my hair is long, it's like nice curly waves When it's short, it just sprang out the side of my head like I've been electrocuted. (laughs) And then I had to, about a month later, when all my friends had left me and I was then traveling all by myself, I had to go to another hairdresser to try and sort it out. And his solution was just to get a shaver and just shave the nape of my neck. (laughs) So I had the beginning of short, of like kind of growing hair and then completely shaved at the back. And it was not a decision that I took lightly. Like I didn't want it to happen.
0: Oh man. (laughs) It was horrible. your hair looks great now uh, i'm sure it took some time to grow back it did it did <laughs> do you have a favorite place you've traveled
1: uh i tend to say three different places because i think i've been to about 50 countries and you know they're all incredibly different but my top three i normally say are bolivia colombia and iceland just because mm. yeah they're all incredible actually was india in there as well can't remember um <laughs> but yeah like landscape wise and people wise all three of them are just, yeah, incredible.
0: Mm, I want to go to Iceland. I've heard amazing things. Yeah,
1: it's incredible. Oh, it's amazing. It's so like, there's like a rawness to it. (laughs) I went to Nova Scotia and Newfoundland last summer, and it was, there's a similarity, particularly in Newfoundland, the kind of very visceral, very earthy kind of wildness. It's, yeah, it's very cool.
0: Yeah, people love it there. So, Obviously, um, from just spending some more time on your site, it seems your site also has an emphasis equally around grief or somewhat around grief as much as it does travel. Like, was that the plan when you started the site? Or that was that's sort of like how your blog sort of evolved over time?
1: Definitely evolved. When I first started blogging, I just hadn't even considered that I'd talk about it. It just didn't make an impact on me at all. I, I, I think I maybe referenced something about my mom, but I don't think it ever struck me as an idea to talk explicitly about it particularly because when you first start doing that kind of thing i you know you're kind of following the herd and i was just following other travel bloggers and not doing what they did but i hadn't even thought that kind of grief and travel could intersect but mm. i did start to discover the more bloggers i met there is a big correlation between losing particularly parents but having a having a traumatic grief experience and going traveling because a lot of people have something like that happen and suddenly realize, A, life is fleeting. B, I want to make the most of my time. C, let's go and explore things. Yeah, a lot of other travel writers, travel bloggers have had big losses and that's precipitated them into into traveling. But yeah, I hadn't considered writing about it that much. And then maybe three or so years into blogging, I'd written an about about my mum and missing her at Christmas time. And I had a really strong, supportive response to it. And then I think a year after I'd come back from, well, two years after I came back from South America, I was still blogging, but I was living in London and my dad got ill. And at that point, I kind of had to start talking about it because I knew he was terminal. I knew he wasn't going to make it much longer. And keeping it private didn't feel, I didn't even feel like a possibility. Like I, it was very weird because he, my mom died very quickly. But my dad had fibrosis and it's a very, not necessarily a quick degenerative disease, but you definitely have a period of time where everybody knows what's happening, but it doesn't just suddenly happen. You don't just suddenly die. Like it takes a bit of time. So I had a period of about six months where I knew that it was just going to go downhill constantly until he died. And the idea of not talking about it on social media was horrific because I was going Mm. through such an awful thing. And I, I couldn't talk about it in theory. Like I felt like I couldn't talk about it without making kind of big statement that this was happening. So I did. I, I started saying to people, this is the situation that I'm in and had a huge amount of support and suddenly blogging about it felt very okay. And I felt like I was allowed and I felt like it was actually a good thing, particularly because when you're going through something that tough, just saying it from scratch out of nowhere is almost too big. But because I was able to I think I wrote maybe four or five articles on my site before he died, it was easier because I I was just building off the last thing I'd written. And I didn't have to kind of make a grand announcement that this awful thing was happening. And yeah, I think after after he died, I then found it very cathartic to be able to write about it on the site and particularly because I'd set up a website that was very me centric. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't I had never tried to write a, a site that you could take me out of, like, it was very much, it is very much about what I'm going through and and my situation, my journey, whatever. So writing about grief was, was fine. And people were very, maybe not enamored of it, but very okay with it. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: I know I mentioned you, I lost both my parents by 25 and it is, I'll use the word funny. Like I find it a little bit funny that people are really drawn to like my ideas, my perspective, or my experiences around grief, loss, etc. I mean, I don't know. And I'm sure there's like differences just in at least society here as a whole, I think in America, and I don't know if it's the same in the UK, like people like fear, like the big D word, like death. And they're like, it's sort of, there is still sort of like an uncomfortableness to talking about hard things related to death, grief, etc. But I found at least when my dad died, as well as when my mom died, People are so, they like really want to tune in. And I don't know. I guess I've always been sort of, it's been intriguing to me as to like why people are so drawn almost to my experiences with losing both parents.
1: It's, yeah, it's a very, I really, I found over the last year or so, I've become good friends with so many more people who've lost parents precisely because of both parents. Yeah, precisely because of the writing. I'm pretty, like, what's the word? I, I use social media a lot and um there's a wonderful podcast called The Griefcast, if you haven't heard it, which mm. is a woman called Kariad Lloyd, who is a comedian, actress, performer, and she talks to other celebrities, other comedians about about their grief experiences. She lost her dad when she was really young, like fifteen, I think. And she does a lot of sharing of of grief related stuff on on Twitter specifically. And I was on there and someone had tweeted about losing their parents and looking for support and Carrie had had reshared it. And a lot of people started responding saying, I'm looking for support too. I've had that same thing happen. And eventually a group of us set up a WhatsApp group for for orphans. <laughs> and we've now got um, about 80 people in there. And we chat every day and we talk about all this stuff because there's a very weird divide. It, it, it's not an obvious divide, but I think if you're in our side, you can feel it. Because there is this kind of almost, it's almost zoo animal-like. It's people kind of looking at you about how you're dealing and you're like, well, I, it's not like I've changed. Like, obviously, I've gone through a huge emotional shift, but anybody does when they have a massive breakup or they lose a job or, yes, yeah, someone dies. Like, It doesn't change you fundamentally in the way that yeah, I um... think people look at you thinking. But I think it's because people are, are very conscious without wanting to address it, very conscious that they're going to have to go through that as well at some point. And being able to look at someone else who's handling it or talking about it. Maybe they're not, they're not doing well, but at least they are expressing how they feel. I think it's, I can see why it's interesting and why it's helpful. But I do still find it very strange because a lot of people do find it so hard to talk about from themselves, but then they really want to look at what you do and how you talk and like how you've responded and stuff. So it's, yeah, it's, there's a long way to go with the death conversation. I really,
0: yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I hope. And I don't know if you feel similarly with the content that you create, but I certainly hope that, I mean, one of the bigger drivers of my podcast, you know, I really believe deep down that it's our duty while we're, and you know, you sort of mentioned it with the idea of sort of the, the mental shift around like life short, I'm going to go and travel, et cetera. I really believe like life, life is short. And while we're here, it's our duty to build your dream life, whatever that is, your business, travel the world, whatever it is, start a blog. I really believe like that is our duty, that is our mission while we're here, here on Earth. And you know, like I hope that much of what inspired me to start this podcast is that I want to inspire people to understand that really our time is such a gift. Tomorrow is not guaranteed, and even though it's somewhat of a cliche saying like "live today as if it were your last," like I want people to live a life with more intention, more purpose, et cetera. And I hope that stories similar to yours will make people, let's call it like wake up, you know, realize that like, hey, they're not going to be here yeah. forever.
1: The difficulty is though that like, so it's interesting. I'd, I'd like to know what you think about this because when my mom died, I was 20 and I very much felt all of the same things you just said. When my dad died, I was 29. And in a completely opposing way, his death flawed me. And I mean, I had the worst year of my life after he died. I I couldn't leave my house for. I was very very depressed, very very not okay. And I felt very very guilty for not being able to take advantage of. We only have finite amount of days in our lives, and like go for it and all stuff. <laughs> and I was I was terrified because I was like I have no I can't like I have no ability. Like I'm still hugely anxious. Like at the moment, a bit agoraphobic with all of the corona stuff and definitely still depressed like I've got so much mental shit going on now and it's horrible because obviously yes I want to take the bull by the horns and live my life to the fullest every single day but also I'm exhausted a lot of the time (laughs) and I do (laughs) feel that luckily I kind of feel like I did a huge amount of my travel and exploring and living to the fullest in the last decade and now I'm like I just want to sit in my house and write books like that's what I want to do and I'm okay with that because I feel like I've done a lot of travel and I've done a lot of exploring, but yeah, I do. I find it difficult hearing the live every day because I'm like, yes, yes. But if you're grieving, like it's really hard. It's really hard to push yourself. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I find it a gray area.
0: That's why I said like cliche saying, I don't love like live every day. Like it's your last. What I hope is that people will live their lives with more intention, more purpose and ask themselves introspectively, like, you know, what do I Danny or what do I Flora want to do with my life? And whatever the answer is, cool. Like, great. Go and do that. That's like all the power to you. And that's like what I, what I really hope to inspire and instill in my listeners, the people that listen to the show, et cetera, because like that is what I believe like, I think I alluded to it sort of at the beginning of the show, but I definitely think that, and I know I said it like I'm beating a dead horse here, but you know I, I really like admire your story because Florida Explorer is out there exploring the world. And I do think a lot of people in my first and second degree network, a lot of people who I know in the States, their mentality is so much like, again, I don't know. I'm sure there's subtle nuances between US and the UK, but people here are very much like, and I'm bucketing everyone, but a lot of people are very, especially in New York, are very, very career driven. And they're like, I'm going to go to school, graduate, go get a job, and climb the ladder, retire. And they sort of have like, and again, I'm bucketing, but a lot of people have this grand plan in their head. And obviously, you know, life throws you so many curveballs. And I think that's why like, I really believe the intention part is very important. And I don't think enough people ask themselves, like, what do I actually want to do with my life? I think a lot of people sort of just like float and life pulls them different directions. And that's sort of the life they go on to build without ever thinking like, is this actually what I want to do with the limited yeah. amount of time that I have here on earth? I know you you mentioned around just like grief in general. My dad died at 20, my mom at 25. and obviously, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Everyone grieves differently. And I think like grief is just a continual process. There's never like, there's never a start and a finish, right? But I do think, at least for me, and I can only speak from my own experience, when my dad died, it's almost like the opposite of your story there. When my dad died, I had so much anxiety. I still carry some anxiety with me today. Like, you're always scarred from the things you see in the hospital or just realizing oh, that, like, your yes, bodies can fail you out thing. of nowhere. Like,
1: oh, shit, people can <laughs> die. Oh, I didn't know. I hadn't really got it.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah. so out of left field, right? Like, you can, you can be walking, hiking. It's crazy because, at least with my mom, we went away for her 60th birthday. We went hiking for her birthday. And it was, like, my whole family, we rented a house. We went upstate. We went hiking. And my mom was sick at the time we had no idea she had no idea and she was able to do like a strenuous uphill hike and it's just like like we always everyone even including my mom when she was alive we were like it's crazy that she was sick then like so sick then um and we had no idea and her body was like failing her so at least with my dad i had like so much anxiety around health etc but with my mom when she passed i'd say more of the feeling was and this might sound funny but honestly the way i felt almost like I was given some form of superpowers. Like it was sort of like, I'm, I know I'm going on a little bit on a rant and a tangent here, but when my mom died, <laughs> I I told her right before she died, like, you know, this now the, the two worst things that could have happened to me have happened to me. And I told her nothing bad will ever happen to me again. And she told me, <laughs> don't be so naive. Bad things are going to happen to you. That's life. Like, and, you know, she didn't only preface it with that. she said, like life's also very glorious, and there's so much in life to look forward to, but bad things will can and will happen to you. That's just unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on the way you look at it, you know that's that's sort of just life. But I really felt when she passed, obviously, like I'm still very much in my own grieving process, but definitely empowered in the sense that like, I guess today, like I really walk and live life with that intention just like constantly asking myself like what do I want to do and whatever the answer is to that that's what I'm going to go and pursue like relentlessly
1: yeah which is exactly the right way to be and I think it's really great that you're in that place because ah, there's a very strange silver lining to losing people this young because a lot of people it doesn't happen until they're already firmly entrenched in the life they happen to have ended up living and then something like this happens and they're like oh oh, I didn't actually want to be here. Damn it. Whereas for us, like we lost those people so early that it gave us the clarity or it gave us the chance to give ourselves the clarity to be like, what is it that we want to be doing? Do we get to make a decision about this? If we do, what is that decision? And as you said, living with intention. And I think being able to live with intention is such an incredible gift. I think exactly why there are so many travelers who have lost people because they've realized and it's not saying that travel is the ultimate mm. although obviously for some people it is but at the very least it gives you the opportunity to see the world and experience everything that you might want to try to experience rather than boxing yourself into a an apartment in a business you know like it's, it's but i think <laughs> i think it's really i had exactly the same realization i never said it to my dad but i had the same thing that you said to your mom the realization that the two worst things I could have imagined happening happened. And for at least the first year or so after my dad's death, that was an incredible millstone around my neck because it meant that everything else could happen. I was constant I mean, I still am pretty scared, but like I was constantly terrified of being in a plane and it crashing, of being on a train and it being bombed, of walking down the street and someone mugging me and knifing me in the back. Like
0: I'm all always Oh my god, seriously, <laughs> dude, like I
1: fly for a living, for God's sake, and I can't. Like I'm so scared of it. But that's the yeah. thing, like The joy as well as I've had a lot of therapy with an incredible couple of therapists who now I'm able to, when I have those thoughts, process it and be like, that isn't my actual thinking. That's the fact that I've had two huge traumatic experiences happen and my brain now wants to jump to the scariest conclusion just in case. And that's okay. And to be honest, it's almost kind of a good Mm. thing because it means that I am kind of more prepared for something bad to happen. Doesn't mean I actually believe it so much anymore. And I hate that I have to have the thought at all, but I don't mind it, particularly in a pandemic, because I'm like, well, (laughs) I'm a little bit more careful than other people. But yeah.
0: Yeah, I I get a cold and I'm like running to the doctor.
1: Oh, yeah. I haven't been sick since this started. So I'm devastated. I live by myself. So I'm so scared that I'm going to get ill, (laughs) have like a very normal cold and think I'm dying. Might happen, who knows? But
0: (laughs) I know you, you have a lot of pictures on your site. Where you're looking out like in the mountains, I have no like a few different places, very awesome pictures. I definitely took a liking to hiking like after after my dad died. There's something about being like outside in the mountains, going up some strenuous hike, and you know five, ten, twenty, thirty miles later, being in nature, and like I have one of like your pictures up from. I don't know where it is, but, you know, just like looking out and you realize how small you are in such a big world and just like how crazy <laughs> this whole thing is, life, nature, everything. And you're just like, oh, like, this is so cool. And I'm such a small little, like even the picture uh, that I have. You're wearing a, your orange backpack. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, I you're know. so small compared to I all remember, those mountains um, out there. I being in
1: Nepal, actually. So the first trip I did, really, since mom died, apart from America, being on the back of a motorbike I was teaching a primary school and there was a like all the women who taught there were very critical because I wasn't dressed as I wasn't wearing like Nepali clothing which I think you're kind of supposed to do and I didn't know but there was one male teacher and we got on and he had said oh should we, should we drive up the mountain and like go and get either like dumplings and tea at this little shack or something I'd only been there for like a few days and suddenly my life had completely shifted because you know London and Nepal very different places. And I remember being on the back of his bike and just doing these switchbacks up this mountain, zooming on like crazy. It was terrifying. And I was so, I remember the feeling so vividly. And I went home and wrote it down, so that helped. But I remember thinking, at this moment in time, nobody on earth knows where I am. My dad has no idea. He knows I'm in Kathmandu, but that's it. Like, he doesn't know where I actually am. Nobody knows where I am. I am so small. I am so insignificant and I just remember it being the most thrilling feeling this like like adrenaline coursing through me being like oh my god the world is crazy like there are so many of us and we're all doing these little things and like no one knows where (laughs) each other is and it's just so weird and it was the most amazing feeling and yeah I haven't traveled that like I haven't had that feeling from traveling for a long time but I think it's a really important distinction to make because I think Maybe it's that a lot of people still really think they are the center of the world. And particularly when you have awful shit happen, like your parents <laughs> die, you're like, oh, the world is actually pretty random and things just happen and you can't really stop it. And maybe the best thing to do is just see as much as you can and try as much as you can and meet as many people as you can and do all this crazy stuff, because then you just have like a bigger sense of everything. And yeah, like, oh, mm. I wish I could go hiking more. That's really reminded me how much I love it. Damn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hiking's hiking's awesome. I'm actually going on a, a small day hike tomorrow. Again, it's weird to put the two and two together, but like I do think when I look at my own losses and like my own experience with grief, I do think that's one of the things that I'm going to say like are are kind of cool in a sense, you know, like obviously I've lost the two people that mean the world to me, but I'd be lying if I didn't also admit that I've gained a lot in terms of my perspective. And I mean, I think we both had mentioned it, you know, you gain some things that obviously you don't want like the anxiety and all that. But I think just going back to it, I I do think that that's probably some of the things that people are drawn to just like, you know, this, I don't want to speak for you, but you know, I imagine you're living with just like you're constantly thinking like, you you really know obviously firsthand that in a second's notice like tomorrow today your life can change in a snap it's something that i've been thinking about a lot recently for whatever reason but like it's just like crazy when i think back to my own parents how like one day everything's fine and the next day like your entire life is turned upside down tossed up in a ball a million times and your life is now different it's like it's a really crazy thing to experience that live with that and then carry that with you as you move forward with your life
1: completely and i think it's also quite extraordinary because time i think people have realized with corona how bizarre time actually is because there's been so many articles online about like people thinking that time has has jumped forward so fast so we've been, all been in quarantine for like 3 months and stuff and it doesn't feel like it at all and in comparison like i remember the exact moments of discovering that they were both dying i i remember the days that they died as if they were yesterday i also know that it's been 11 years or 3 years for each of them but the the time feels very different and i can put myself back there so easily and it's a very disconcerting feeling actually but i think what's also quite yeah it's something i for some reason don't really voice i think maybe because it almost does feel too strange for other people to understand but you are really on the money with the fact that yes this awful thing happens and it is devastating and god knows i could do without the anxiety but you do maybe you do gain a lot of very unexpected benefit i mean not to try and plug but like i've just written a book about (laughs) grief and about losing your parents and I couldn't have done this if my parents were still here. And it's a very strange feeling because I want to boast about it to them. I want them to tell me how proud they are and they can't, but also they couldn't because if they could, then I couldn't have written it. But the thing that's so extraordinary is that I'm actively making connections with these people who've gone through the same thing and like being able to help people who've had this awful thing happen. Like I've started getting messages from readers who are so grateful because I've managed to put into words the things that they're feeling that they can't put into words themselves. And I can't believe that such an awful thing can then make me feel really good. But it really can. And it does feel too simplistic to say it that way, because I, I understand it. But saying it out loud, it does sound very, uh, yeah, it, just, it doesn't sound like it should be valid, mm. like your parents die, and then you're happy about writing a book. But it's very odd, because being able to support people through this is is something that I think is really necessary and it's it's not it's difficult for people to find support that can actually feel supportive like I read a lot of people's books and I never quite felt like like I was on the same track as them if you know what I mean
0: yeah absolutely I think for like the feeling of like the good feeling right like feeling good from something that's bad I mean I think that that's really cool because it's something that like you know it sort of gives other people hope that you know who are going through terrible shit that like you know, Flora did it, Danny did it, like, and obviously, it doesn't mean that, like, you don't have bad days, or there there is not bad shit you carry with you. You know, I very much like to say, like, grief is sort of like wounds that are deep down underneath your clothes, obviously, that you know, you carry with you. And sometimes the wound is more raw and open, and sometimes it's a little more shot, but it never fully heals. I think that's also something that's awesome, too. There are not like an infinite amount of resources as it relates to grief, etc. And just when you connect with anyone or see anyone who's helping put out some positive experience, or just that like, hey, like, I lost both my parents, but I'm okay. You know, that's really inspiring to so many. But yeah, and then also going back to it, I do, I I know I use the superhero term, but like, there's so many superheroes, I just I've always found it intriguing, I guess. There's so many superheroes, like Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, yeah, who lost their parents. And that's why I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to be a superhero. I'm going to use this to my Fine. advantage.
1: If we have to, if we have <laughs> to be superheroes, whatever, go for it. No, you're completely right. It's, I I'm, I was discussing this with another podcast host actually recently, the very strange trope of heroes in literature. And I, I will put comic books into literature who've lost parents. I mean, your Harry Potters as well as all of your other comic mm. book people. Like it's it's crazy. And I think it's, it's an important statement I think like there's a reason why that trope is so well used because there is definitely a huge amount of internal strength that has to come from losing parents although the word strong used to piss me off so much when my mom died people just kept being like you're being so strong I was like I'm not being anything I'm just I'm just being (laughs) like thanks but I'm really not trying to be strong I'm just doing it and it happens to look good I guess but Yeah, I think the um, I think it's a lovely way to think about it, that we could be pretty superhero like you do have to you have to gain a lot of strength, I guess. So, yeah, it does make sense. Yeah.
0: The human spirit is like extremely resilient. I think you have like in your reserve tank, you know, you don't have to necessarily I'd say for the average person who doesn't go through, you know, who sort of just like lives their life and maybe doesn't go through something so traumatic. You don't need to dip into that reserve tank. But it is incredible. I guess what you learn about yourself as you grieve and as you grow and move forward after, you know, just what you recognize in your own ability to like persevere or I don't want to say persevere, just sort of move forward. It's, you know, I'm sure like you sort of surprise yourself, but yeah, absolutely. I don't think, I mean, we could have a whole different podcast around like stupid things people say, but yeah, the whole like being Uh. strong thing. That's another one. I mean, people say, I think it goes back to the, people being like so uncomfortable with death and grief and all that, that like people say the dumbest things. And yeah, I I know I mentioned it before, but like, you know, you should just be whatever you want to be going back to it. Like, you know, if, if right now the world's telling you, or you're telling you, like, I just want to like lay down in my bed, put the blankets over and like watch Netflix all day. That's great too. Like, you know, that's what you need to do in your, uh, in your own experiences. So I want to start to wrap things up. I know you had mentioned you want to, focus more on writing less on traveling the world's crazy right now with corona but are there any new travel places that are like top of your list where you're like i need to get there in the next year two years pending obviously everything going on
1: um i mean i really full disclosure haven't really thought about it but i mean i was in canada last year and adored it and i'd love to go back to canada again i have a huge soft spot for spain i've been to quite a lot of spain already but i I'm constantly trying to speak more Spanish, so I'd love to go back there again. And also, the entirety of Central America is an area that I haven't touched, and I would love to. But that kind of needs a, a full-on backpacking trip, I think. Which, yeah, <laughs> might be might be tough in the the next year or two. But yeah. yeah, there's there's always there's always more places, and I think it does go up in ups and downs for me. Like at the moment, I'm very focused on writing, but in a couple of years, I might have switched again and be really into a big old backpacking trip again. Who knows?
0: You had mentioned. You've traveled to over 50 countries?
1: I think so. I've got one of those um, scratch maps, like you scratch off the flags, and I counted mm. all the flags, and I think it's about 50. There's a good number. So I can, yeah, I can that's, it now.
0: that's a lot. Is there, do you have like a, a master goal, like you want to get to this number or no?
1: No, not at all. I, to be honest, there's actually countries I'd prefer to go back to more than once. As I said, Spain, I absolutely love, and I'm very keen on traveling in countries that I can speak the language of because it just changes your experience so much. So, Maybe I'd just love to go to all the countries that speak Spanish. That would be lovely.
0: Mm.
1: And just keep on being bilingual.
0: (laughs) Not that I actually am now. (laughs) And I guess to wrap it up, my podcast, Bits of Gold, is all about facing adversity and building your dream life. With that being said, what would be your bits of gold on how to build a life you love?
1: Oh, what a lovely question. I don't know. Maybe write down the, the top three things that you... Feel make you the happiest and try and orient your life so those things are a priority for you every day.
0: Mm, I love that. Okay, so we'll wrap it up. Where can people get a hold of you? I know you recently wrote a book, would love for you to drop that so people can know where they can find your book. Yeah, just whatever you want our audience to know where they can get a hold of you.
1: Sure. Okay, so uh, my website is Um I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Instagram and Twitter is at Flora Baker. My Facebook, I think, is Flora the Explorer, should be. And yeah, I've just written a book called The Adult Orphan Club, which is a part memoir and a part guide to grieving, specifically to to losing your parents, but it does apply to anyone who's gone through grief. And you can find it on Amazon.
0: Amazing. Well, Flora, thank you so much for the time. I like Flora the Explorer, so thank you so much for, uh, (laughs) I like that better than just Flora. So thanks for the time. Thank you so much for the hour. I'm very excited to share your story with the world. And Thank you. yeah. Thanks. Thank it's you. been
1: so lovely to talk to you.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Flora the Explorer. I know I did. I love her story. Love her journey. She really makes me want to get out and travel, immerse myself in new cultures and see the world. With that, please, if you like this episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Take a moment, share this episode with a friend, and tag us on your Instagram story. You could tag us at Bits of Gold underscore Podcast. New episode coming this Wednesday and this Friday. Have an amazing rest of the week.
1: I love your podcast. This is gold. This is it's at.